So we're going to be looking at Exodus 20, and we're starting a new series called Written on the Heart. And uh, why? Our passion as a community is to help people experience life in Jesus. That's what we're going for. So we gather on the weekends and we study the Bible. Uh, we gather in homes uh, called Sunset Communities. We serve, we give. All of this is because we believe that life, that's truly life, is experienced in Jesus. And so we have a variety of ways to push ourselves to know him better. But if you've been here for a while or you decide to come for a while, you're going to hear again and again that the scriptures, what you have in an app or in a book in front of you, is not the only way that we experience life in Jesus, but it happens to be one of the primary ways God has chosen to grow us. So we take seriously the scriptures. Now, we worship Jesus. We don't worship the Bible, but we do believe that it's a gift. 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17 says, But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from who you learned it. This is Paul, who wrote a good chunk of the New Testament, writing to a younger leader in the church, Timothy. And he says, how from infancy, and look at the phrase, you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So Timothy, you learned from a young age from what God has said and done some wisdom. That wisdom drew you to faith in Jesus. So the scriptures are a gift. Now, how much of the scriptures are a gift? Verse 16. All scripture, say all scripture. All scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God, men and women, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture is God-breathed. So from Genesis all, all the way through the Revelation, every bit of it has value, even though every bit of it isn't as easy to comprehend. We admit that. So here's where we're headed. Because all scriptures God breathed and God wants to grow us as a community, we want to learn how to read the Bible. So pause. Sunday teachings aren't just to inspire and aren't just to give you a push. I hope they're inspirational. I hope they're instructional. But the Sunday gatherings for us as leadership are to help you learn how to read the Bible every day. So part of what we do here is the way we unpack the scriptures, hopefully will show you. So on Monday, when you're reading the Bible, you'll have a sense of how to come to the same conclusions. Because reading the Bible is beautiful and painful. Let's just not kid ourselves. Especially the first half, right? All of us, if you've read the Bible from cover to cover, we get stuck like four or five books in. Because we start to read things that make no sense. Now, we're going to be studying over the next 10 weeks the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. I had you turn there, but we're actually not going to get there for a little bit because we've got to do some, some setup. Now, if you're at Exodus 20, just jump ahead to Exodus 22. Let me just explain what I mean by the Bible is beautiful and painful. Exodus 22, verse 25. So some of the stuff makes sense. If you lend money to one of my people among you who is needy, do not treat it like a business deal. Charge no interest. So according to the Bible, is it wrong to charge interest for a loan? Go to your bank tomorrow. Call them up. So how, how dare you for your mortgage? How dare you charge me interest? Is that what it's getting at? What interest business deal? We kind of get that. 
Uh, I'm not confused by that one, but keep going a little bit. It said Exodus 23, just the next page for you probably. Exodus 23, verse 17. Then there's a string of laws back to back. Look at this one. Three times a year, all the men are to appear before the sovereign Lord. What about the women? It doesn't say anything. Do not offer the blood of a sacrifice to me along with anything containing yeast. So when you bring your sacrifice, don't bring yeast. Is that clear? Okay. How about the fat of my festival offering must not be kept until morning. Don't you go keeping that fat. You with me? You read this and you're like, I don't know. Oh, this is the best. Bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to my house of the Lord your God. That's totally cool. So bring some of your, your, your produce, some of your money. But do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. Amen. <laughs> you got to figure it out. So some of the laws are clear and some of the laws are like strange. So we're supposed to go three times a year and we're supposed to bring first fruits and we're not going to yeast, fat, and the goat and the milk. I, I, some of the stuff we just want to skip, except we're not allowed. All scripture is God-breathed. So part of discipleship to Jesus, part of falling in love with Jesus, part of experiencing life in Jesus is, is learning to discern how to read, understand, interpret, and apply the Bible. Now, what do I do about Jesus, okay? Because if I don't know what to do with these sacrifices, these laws, what do I do about Jesus? How did Jesus read the Holy Scriptures? And in light of Jesus' coming and his death and his resurrection, am I supposed to read them the same or Differently. Now, don't worry, we're not going to answer all these questions today, okay? We're not going to get it all figured out today. But if you're wondering where are we headed over the next few months, this is where we're headed. We want to learn how to enjoy the Bible. In order to enjoy it, I need to understand it. So, disclaimer today is going to sound way more like a lecture than an inspirational talk. But let me tell you, my friends, if we can get this foundation covered, and over the next few years, if we can give you some tools that are helpful, the next time you're reading Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, you won't want to skip over it. You'll be able to have the tools in your hand to read it and enjoy it and understand it and even catch the heart of God. So now we're going to focus on the Ten Commandments, right? Because those are the most popular. But there's actually 613 laws in Exodus through uh, to Deuteronomy. 613. For some reason, we harp on the first 10, but there's a whole lot more. But what we'll do is we'll take the 10, and every week we're going to kind of do the same thing. And what I want to do is I actually want to work myself out of a job. By, by that, I mean I want to work it through. We're going to go through every one of the Ten Commandments together, and that will be the key to how you can study any one of God's laws and hopefully get more out of it. Is that cool? If not, show up in early June, and then we'll go on to something else, all right? The goal here is to read the Scriptures with greater insight. The goal here is to hear the voice of God. The goal here is to experience life in Jesus. All right. All we're going to do this morning is build a base foundation. Next week will be kind of lecture part two, but going over the first commandment, and then it's going to start to fly, and there will be payoff, okay? Just, just work through the first couple of weeks Three foundational things you need to know in order to understand the Old Testament that are probably not common sense for most of us. 
write them down. The first thing is law. We're looking at law or laws. Now, when I say the word law, what comes to your mind? Hit me. Not literally hit me, but law. Rules. That's, that's the first thing that comes to my mind. Anything else? I'm sorry? Lawyers. Gift from God. Bastion of Satan. We're not so sure. You know, I got a gift from God, actually. Uh, so rules, lawyers. Anything else? I'm sorry? Obey. obey. Right, right. So when I think law, I go to rule, obey, and I go to lawyers. I go to, you know, getting out of trouble. Actually, that is our concept of law, which is very small compared to the biblical view of law. So the first concept I need to get, if I'm going to understand the 613 commands, is to get a biblical definition of law. In order to do that, we just go to the Bible. All right, so go back to Exodus 18, and we're going to see what law is all about. Exodus 18 will start in verse 9. Now, I'm going to read what's called narrative. Uh, narrative is story, but when I say story, you think made up. Narrative is true story, right? In the narrative itself, uh, the narratives, when we read them, they're not just cute stories and we're supposed to get the punchline. The story itself tells us the truth. That's not how we read in modern day. We, look, we read a story to try to get a point, and I harp on the point. In Hebrew literature, the story itself is the point. And I'll explain myself. All right. Exodus 18, verse 9. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. Pause. Jethro is Moses' father-in-law. He saw how God used Moses he saw the plagues in Egypt. He saw how God delivered them out. He saw how God brought them across the Red Sea. He saw the salvation of God. Jethro was not a part of the people of God. He was not a part of Israel. As a matter of fact, he was a priest of another faith. So he was a leader in another faith, but he sees God's hand at work. Look at verse 10. He said, praise be to the Lord. Praise be to Yahweh, that is Israel's God, not his own God. Praise be to Yahweh, who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh, and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now, I know that the Lord is greater than all the other gods, for he did this to those who treated Israel arrogantly. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and offered sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses' Uh, with Moses' father-in-law, in the presence of God. So Jethro moves, catch this, from hearing about God to worshiping God, knowing God, and being included into the family of God. Now verse 13, the next day Moses took a seat to serve as judge of the people. And they stood around him from morning till evening. And when his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this you're doing for all the people? Why do you sit alone as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses answered, because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and, catch this word, instructions. God's decrees and instructions. There are multiple words in the Hebrew text that talk about laws. 
Laws are rules. Don't mishear me. But that's not the whole heart of it. Law includes rules, but it's bigger than rules. That word instruction is Torah. Can you say it with me? Torah. You speak in Hebrew. Verse 17. Moses' father-in-law replied, what you're doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work's too heavy for you. You can't handle it alone. Listen now to me. I'll give you some advice. And may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and Torah. Rules and Torah. Laws and laws. So laws are more more than just rules. Show them the way they are to live. That's Torah. Show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. All right, what's happening? Why do the people need laws in the first place? We get it in the narrative. Israel had never had a leader. They had the 12 tribes. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob has 12. They move into Egypt. They become slaves. 400 years, they're under the tyranny of Egypt. They have never been their own people, never had a government, never had a way of being the people of God with God as their leader. God brings them out, promises to bring them to the land that's fruitful, the land filled with milk and honey. Blessing, right? But how are they going to live as the people of God? So Moses knows God. He's already been on this very mountain when God commissioned him and said, go set my people free. I'm going to deliver them. I'm going to use you. Now Moses, a couple of months out of Egypt, is up on that mountain. And he, because he knows God, catch this. Jethro, because Moses knows God, Jethro comes to know God himself. Not only that, look at verse 15. Moses answered, because the people come to me to seek God's will. The people don't come to Moses because Moses is wise. They come to Moses because Moses happens to know God better than them. So I just want us to catch the logic. Why the law in the first place? It's because the people actually want to know God. So what Jethro suggests is really good. Get some other people and they could lead a thousand, they could lead a hundred, they could lead ten. They can help people discern what the will of God is. And that's cool. But what we're going to see in the next few months is God does better than Jethro's plan. See, Jethro's plan is just, you know, strategically have layers of leadership. And they can let them know God does one better. He gives all of Israel his words. So Moses knew God's words and God's design from the beginning. And if you read Exodus 20 through 23, it's called the Book of the Covenant. It's what Moses got on the mountain. It is everyone is going to have the law and catch this. God's design from the beginning is that is not just in their brain, it's in their heart. God's design from the beginning, it, when I say heart, don't think organ, organ, boom, 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 boom. think the center of who you are. You could know something to be right, but it not be in your heart, right? Just look at a doctor who smokes. The package says smoking kills. They know it's not healthy, but that law isn't written on their what? Now, if you're a doctor who smokes, I'm not pointing you out. 
But I'm, I'm saying like you can have it in your brain and not, and not engage with it on the center of who you are. It doesn't drive your decisions, right? So in the same way, God wants every one of his followers to have his Torah, his teaching. So for us, make sure you get this, get this, get this, get this. Law, Torah equals instructions or teaching. Law or Torah equals instructions or teaching. It's not just rules. Some of us say, well, thank God for Jesus because now I don't need any of those rules. Hold up. If Torah is rules, then you may be right. But what if it's something richer? What if it's that God wants his teaching written on your heart? His teaching is his way. Let me illustrate. If you decide to get married and, and you decide to get married in this church and ask one of the pastors or elders to officiate, we require you to go through some premarital material. Not because we're mean, but because we know that if someone says, I love you, and the other one says, I love you, that does not mean wedded bliss, right? Necessarily. But So what we have some material, some books, and some interactive like survey things to discern what your personality type is like. Because we want couples to walk into a marriage knowing that there are highs and lows, there are ups and downs, and you didn't actually know. We want, when, when the guy hears his wife say, honey, does this make me look fat? We don't want hubby to get kicked to the curb. You know what I'm saying? There's a right way and a wrong way to answer that. And there is a wrong way. But more importantly, we know that just heart, love, affection, feeling does not mean that these two people are going to live in a way that honors God. So we don't lay on a bunch of rules in this premarital material. It's actually teaching, instruction, wisdom. You see, being married is about more than I commit to do this and do that and not do this and I'll show up at home at time and I'll do the dishes or I'll wash the car. Like, those are rules that might be helpful, but there's something richer. Commitment to one another means that we both know what commitment means, right? And when that reality, that teaching is on my heart, I will be the best spouse. Does that make sense? That is exactly the heart of these 613 laws, Torah rules. God wants his people to know his ways. Okay, that's the first one. Now let's get with the second one. Equally confusing, covenant. If you've ever been to a wedding, you've, you've probably heard that marriage is a covenant. Well, what in the world is a covenant? Again, I don't need to make up a definition. The definition is in the text itself. Just look over a couple of paragraphs to Exodus 19, verses 3 through 8. Have I lost you yet? No, you're with it. Okay. Exodus 19, 3 through 8 defines what a covenant is. It says, Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you're to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you're to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings. In other words, I rescued you. An eagle swoops in and protects and saves. So he uses a metaphor. And brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, everything belongs to God, you, Israel, will be for me a 
Then he defines it. Kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And these are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and some of the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together. Look at their response. We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. All right. What is a covenant? Write down this definition. A covenant is a partnership based on promises and commitments. It's a partnership based on promises and commitments. It's exactly what you see. We'll tease it out in a second. Now, it's not just an agreement like, like a contract. Hey, I want to sell you a car. So we write up a contract and, and we, you know, hey, you're going to pay me X amount. And it has X amount of miles. And if it's broken, I'll repair it. That's just a contract. We do that all the time. A covenant is a long-term partnership. And that's why marriage is defined as a covenant. A long-term, a lifelong commitment partnership based on promises and based on commitments. Now, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, you see four. God makes a covenant with Noah. God makes a covenant with Abraham. God makes a covenant with Israel here. And then God makes a covenant with David. And if you look at those covenants, it starts small with Noah and it builds and it builds and it builds because God is building something that's going to lead to Jesus. More on that in the weeks to come. All you need to know for now, how does a covenant work? If we don't get this, we'll misunderstand all of these 613 commands. God invites us into relationship. Notice what happened. What does God say to Moses? He says to him that I brought you out. Look at verse 4. I brought you to what? Myself. A covenant is based on God's choosing. God decides to invite these people and then later on us. More on that when it comes to Jesus. But just catch this. God invites. The whole earth is mine, God says. But I'm choosing for you. I have something special for you. Now God makes promises. What's the promise? You will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now in their language, they know exactly what this means. A kingdom is a real country. You will be a definite people. By the way, they had never been a definite people. Ever. They were in slavery pretty much their whole history. God's saying, I'm going to make you a definite people. And you, all of you, not some of you, are going to be priests. That is the role that, the, the role that Moses is playing. You are going to stand between the people and God. In other words, as a nation of people, you are going to invite people into this covenant. You're going to take people who are far from me, and like a priest does, shows you the way, not to himself, but to God. And you're going to be a holy nation. You're going to be a people that lives under my commands. And that's going to be so attractive to other people. They're going to want to live under my commands and be blessed. Life with God is a blessing. Would you agree? Life with God is better. Life with God is just, it's just right. But we don't know how to be right with God. And other people don't know how to be right with God. So God chooses covenants with some people catch this, for the benefit of everyone. So, 
This is a massive, massive statement. But we need to get this. Following the commandments or the rules or the laws in the covenant does not save you. You need to catch this. Some people would say, well, I thank God we're not in the Old Testament anymore because they had to follow those rules. Otherwise, God wouldn't save them. Well, the problem is the narrative itself. Think about this. Was Israel as a people already saved from Egypt? Yes or no? Yes. Just go back to Exodus. God already came, already rescued them, already judged Egypt, already brought them out, already brought them through the Red Sea. They were already saved. So following the commands, following the teaching, following the Torah was never about how to get saved. It was about how to live in partnership with God in a way that leads to flourishing. Now, I hope that already you're a little unsettled about your understanding of the Old Testament. <laughs> you're like, oh, snap. This is so good. Because the goal is not to say, wow, I can't believe you didn't know that. The goal here is to say, wow, maybe I misunderstood. So we get understanding and then we see the laws in light of what God intended them to be. So, so Israel did not follow these 613 commands in order for God to say, yeah, I love you. He actually loved them, showed him his love, brought them close, protected them like eagle's wings. Try fighting an eagle protecting her young. Welcome to death. That's God's heart for his people. I will protect you. You are my treasured possession. Okay, so if that is the case, one more thing and we're already almost done. This is just going to be the foundation. It's a tease, so to speak, and then we'll actually do the Ten Commandments starting next week. So we, we've got law, which is Torah, or teaching, God's ways, God's instructions. And now we know that a covenant is a partnership. The goal is to partner with God for something bigger. Israel, when they live under God's teaching, is going to make God attractive, so to speak. People don't know who God is. People don't know who the creator is. But when they see a people walking with God, do you ever meet someone who's following Jesus and just say, Man, I want to be like them someday. When I grow up, I want to be like so-and-so. And it's usually not because of their natural skill. It's something about their character. It's like, man, they're so loving. They're so compassionate. They're so generous. One day, I want to be like. And that's what covenants are about. God meets with you so that when he does something in you, it's not just for your own good. It's for the good of the world. So Israel is supposed to be a light to the nations from day one. All right, final concept, and we're done. Jesus and the new covenant. So all of this has been read from Exodus, but we don't read Exodus without reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All Scripture is God-breathed. So you can't read the New Testament without coming up with the concept of the new covenant. That's why we call it the New Testament or the New Agreement or you could say the New Covenant document. The Old Testament, the, the law that we're given in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy are the, the written nuances of life with God according to that agreement. But know this, God 
wrote it down not to show people how bad they are. God wrote it down because he didn't want just Moses to have access to his presence. He wrote down the laws so that everyone could have access to his presence. It's always been about everyone going up the mountain, everyone being invited, everyone hearing from God. So Jesus in the new covenant. Now next Sunday, we're going to look at the first commandment. Based on who God is, don't have any gods. That's commandment number one. We're going to look at that, but I just want us to see the narrative flow. Where does the Bible lean? Hundreds of years after Moses is on Mount Sinai, there's a prophet. Moses is a prophet. Jeremiah is a prophet. So they both speak for God. Now, does God contradict himself? No. So Moses speaks for God, but later on, Jeremiah also speaks for God. And in Jeremiah 31, 31, I'll put it on the screen for time. Jeremiah says, according to God's decree, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I'm going to make a new covenant with the uh, people of Israel and the people of Judah. These are the 12 tribes. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a what? Husband to them. Let's just get back. Let's refresh ourselves in light of what Jeremiah is saying. So covenants are partnerships based on promises and agreements. God, and just know this, I'm summarizing. God always keeps his promise and we always jack it up. That's the Old Testament. That's the human story. God keeps his promise. God's faithful to his covenant but a covenant is based on agreements. Remember Exodus 19. The people said to Moses, we will do everything God commands. Liar. Because within a few chapters, they already, while Moses is on the mountain getting the writings, they are already breaking commandment number one and number two. So know this. The human story is about God inviting people to partnership God keeps his promises. God lays out the commands. He's God. He has the right. And guess what? We break our promises by ignoring his commands. So what does God do? In his love, he tells Jeremiah, I'm, what I did for Israel in the desert is not enough. Verse 33. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time. So when I initiate something new, I will write my law in their minds and write it on their, what? Hearts. I'll be their God. They'll be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord. Because they will all know me from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. And I'll forgive their wickedness and I'll remember their sin no more. God says, I am going to the covenant with Noah was not enough. The covenant with Abraham was not enough. The covenant with Moses is not enough. The covenant with David is not enough. All of those were building like a great story to the final chapter, the final act. And God's final act was to create a covenant, a partnership with you and me based on promises and commands through Jesus. So how do we understand the Ten Commandments or the 613 laws in light of Jesus? Where Israel failed, Jesus would make a way for God's teaching to be written on our hearts. That's what you need to get for today. 
is we are not reading the Ten Commandments assuming Jesus never showed up. That would be foolish. What we want to do is to learn to see, in light of Jesus' coming, his life, his death, his resurrection, how do I now look back at the Ten Commandments and all of the laws and learn from them? All Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching. So we don't throw it out. Rather, we find out what we're supposed to learn about God. Now, next week, we're going to look at different ways. Now, true to form, Christians do not agree on how to read the Old Testament. Surprise! Welcome to church. There are a variety of ways that people look and read and discern the Old Testament. Guess what? You already fit under one of those categories. I'm stereotyping, and it fits. You already have a way of reading the Old Testament. You probably just aren't aware of what it is. So next week, what I want to do is, as we look at the first one, I want to tease out what those different ways of viewing it, and you're going to go, oh my gosh, I never thought about that. And we're going to look at the healthy and the unhealthy parts of every one of those views. Because there isn't one way that we read it, but some are more helpful than others. And then I'm going to lay out what I believe to be a helpful way, and I'll let you agree or disagree. Fair enough? I'm basically, that was a nice way of saying I'm going to tell you what to think. No, just kidding. But for now, here's where we want to land. The new covenant was based on the failure of people to live up to what God designed because there was something wrong with their heart. So here's what we want to do now. We want to ask the question, not where's my brain or my philosophy or my ideology. Where's your heart? Israel could know, they knew the 613 commands by heart. Good Jewish men would know all of them by heart. We don't even know the Ten Commandments by heart. But the deeper question is, where are you in your bent, your center when it comes to God? Are you, are you even desiring to live your life in partnership with the one who created you? When I say partnership, I don't mean 50-50. Like God, let me tell you, here's what I'm going to bring to the table. And then he's going to say, I made the table. <laughs> but rather in response to the God who loves you, is your center going in his direction or are you asking God to go in your direction? Like, God, I would love for you to bless my. Or is the way that you live desiring even to say, God, I actually want I realize there's some good and some corruption in my own heart. I want, to, I want you to come in and I want you to clean house on the things that are just not right. All of us need God's ways written on the heart. If I'm going to live the Jesus life, by the way, if I'm going to live the Jesus life, I need God to implant at the center of who I am. And over these next 10 weeks, I'm going to show you how God has already done that in Jesus through the giving of his Holy Spirit. So by the way, we're not living back then. We have a greater agreement and a greater king and a greater power. We have this. This is amazing. But where's your heart? Some of us, we just, we go to church because it just seems like the right thing for our family to do. But God doesn't have your heart. 
for most of us, we've given him leadership, but there are pockets, you know? We all have our, it's different for different people. We have the pockets of me. God, I give you most of my life. And, and he's by the Spirit calling us, there's more. There's more life that you can experience in Jesus if you give him that section that you've been holding as your possession. God says, the whole world is mine. And I want to create something great in your heart. In response, we've got a, a new song that we want to sing. That I hope, we'll sing it again and again throughout the series. It's kind of like the banner song that is the right response when we hear what God has said and what God has done in the person of Jesus. So by the way, we're going to look at Jesus every week and how Jesus interacts with the Ten Commandments to see the way that we're supposed to live. But for now, just you know the state of your own heart. Where is it? We're going to respond in worship. I'm going to tell you how the rest of our time is going to play out. We're eventually going to go to the table. If you've yet to be baptized, here's a practical tip. Maybe part of giving God your heart is to actually obey His command. And he says to his followers, Matthew 28, go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation, right? This is the, the great commission. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Not an option. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey all I've commanded you. Implication. Baptism is part of the commandment. And so I'm with you to the very end, end of the age. If you've not yet been, been baptized, this isn't a shaming thing. That's actually a hard thing. For some reason, you're resisting God's command. And in his love, he's reminding you on the first Sunday of April, I want your heart. And your heart implies obedience to my promises and my commandments. So I invite you when, uh, when Bren opens it up, the table for communion, to go. And we'd love to pray with you and step into obedience with you in baptism. And then I'm going to come up before it's all over. There's one last piece. That's a practical application. I just wanted to save it for the end, end, end. So I'll be up in a bit to share that as well. Why don't you stand and we're going to sing. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you're doing the work in us and you're challenging the way we think and the way we feel so that you can reshape the way that we live. Holy Spirit of God, we invite you now to expose the things that are on our heart that are not in line with your teaching, your ways, your instruction, your blessing. And we come back to you, just like Israel did, when they recognized that they had gone off. We come back to you today, and we say, Jesus, you can have it all. You can have it all.